You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. This psalm, Psalm 78, is, is what co- is called a historical psalm and it kind of maps out the history of Israel, but the central call of the verses that you just heard are, is, a, is a call to share God's word with the next generation, which is exactly what has been at the heart of Jimmy and Sarah's ministry with us over the past seven years. In fact, guys, you want to run that slideshow, and I'll just show you kind of images that tell the story of the, the mission and ministry of these guys as they've been with us. At the very heart, and this goes back to the empty whiteboard that Jimmy and I had on his first day here on staff, mapping out the future of a youth ministry that had never existed in this church before. At the heart of that, the core of that mission was to see image like, images like these come to life. That through the consistent sharing of God's words, the sharing of the gospel with the next generation, that we would see young people come to put their confidence in God, to experience his love, to be saved by grace. I remember... Back in 2015, Jimmy had the idea for this project. It was called the Legacy Project, and he put it together from start to finish. There was a conference there that we had along the way, uh, as as a kind of um, as a kind of uh, intensive for parents to learn more about how to disciple their children. It was born out of this um, this kind of commitment that we have as a church that that parents, that families ought to be the front line of discipleship for children and that what we do as a church with kids' ministry and stuff is exist to kind of augment and supplement what is already happening in the home. And I remember what Jimmy wrote to the parents and I, I dug it up uh, this past week and just want to read it to you. Uh, this is what he wrote to the parents of our kids. One of my greatest fears, he says is that in 10 years' time we will look back as a church and see people who have attended church and church events but no longer identify themselves as Christians. The awesome truth is that we have an opportunity to build a better legacy for our young people, he says. Through modelling, teaching and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're seeking to see families lead the way in discipleship, and build a legacy of faith in our community, a faith that stands out and stands up. We want this to be the generation that makes family life intentionally God-centred. We want the most compelling thing about your children to be their relationship with Jesus. You can hear the heart behind those words. In fact, at the top of that page, that letter written to, these, the, to the parents of these children, uh, Jimmy quoted Psalm 78, verses 1 to 4. Let me read that for you. It says, My people hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, 
but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. This burden that Jimmy and Sarah have had throughout their ministry expressed in that letter to to parents is the very same burden that the psalmist has as he writes this psalm for us. 3,000 years before Jimmy, the, the psalmist, as he puts pen to paper here, has the very same burden. He wants a future generation to know who God is, to know what he has done. He wants them to put their confidence in God. This burden was actually kind of enshrined in law for the people of Israel in the, in the Old Covenant. It's enshrined in something called the Shema. And if you know any Orthodox Jews, you'll know that they say this as part of their morning and evening prayers every day. They say the Shema. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what it says. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Absolutely integral to the faith and the life of the people of Israel and actually confirmed and commissioned by Jesus himself, our own Lord. In Mark 12... This is what happens. One of the scribes approached Jesus. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So the psalmist picks up on this most important part of God's law, the most important part of God's word to his people. And he picks it up and he he speaks to it in this psalm, in Psalm 78. He says in verse 5 to 6, he that is God, established a testimony in Jacob, set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know they were to rise and tell their children. So why, why tell your children about the greatness and goodness of God? Why tell your children about his mighty, mighty acts? Why tell them about his unconditional love? God loves you unconditionally and there's nothing you can do about it. Why tell them? He tells us in verse 7, so that, right, purpose clause, so that 
they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works. If you're here this morning and you're a young person, or if you've ever been a young person, all right, so all of us, right? If you, if you are here this morning and you're still awake, you know, you know the barrage of forces that exist in this world which are vying for your confidence, right? There are 10,000 things in our daily experience that are competing for our attention, essentially keep competing for our confidence. You'll know particularly if you're the parent of teenagers just how strong the pull is for them to put their confidence in, I don't know, their appearance or their popularity. Not just young people, I mean everyone. The the, the pull for you to put your confidence, your trust, your sense of self in something other than God. In how much money you have in the bank or how much authority you have at work or, I don't know, the state of your front lawn. Like there are so many different things vying for our trust, vying for our Confidence. What Jimmy and Sarah have been doing for seven years now, and you can see it's palpable all through their ministry, is laboring daily that the young people of this community, which, by the way, is comprised of not just people who call this church home, but people outside of this church, right? That community, they've been laboring so that those young people would put their confidence in God. Because there is where we find human flourishing. That's where you start seeing teenagers come to life, like real life. They have been calling young people not to be the kind of jellyfish teenagers of the culture, swept along by currents way outside of their control, but to be the dolphins Right? that swim against the strength, that are beautiful in composition because they are trusting in God. They put their confidence in him. They've not forgotten, forgotten his works. They've kept his commandments because in keeping God's commandments, we understand that God has given us those commandments in order that we would flourish. Now, the substance of the rest of this incredibly long psalm and the fuel for this burden that the psalmist has in those first few verses that we've read is is all about the failure of Israel to do this. It's all about the failure of Israel to do what God has told them to do in sharing the truth about him and his goodness with the next generation. He says in verse 8, then they would be, uh, sorry, then they would not be. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. From verse 9 to verse 72, 
Right, we're going to take the next two hours just to work our way through verse 9 to 72. And no, oh, I forgot there's lots of visitors here this morning who just had a cardiac arrest. We're not going to actually do that. I'm just going to summarize for you, okay? So here's here's the big picture of the psalm. From verse 9 all through to verse 72, he lays out this history, this catalog of Israel's history and their failure to do what God had called them to do. And so he'll give you a little bit of history and then he'll say, and they screwed it all up. And he just repeats that over and over again. So you can see like in verse 17, after giving a bunch of history, he says, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. And then in verse 32, after another chunk of history, he says, despite all this, right, despite all of God's goodness and grace to them and his presence with them, Despite all this, they kept sinning and did not believe his wondrous works. And then another chunk of history, and then verse 42, they did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe. And then another chunk of history, and then verse 56, but they rebelliously tested the most high God, for they did not keep his decrees. Like just, it's just an assault on the people of Israel. In fact, it's kind of to their credit that they included this in the Bible, because it's it's kind of a... It's not a pretty picture. But just continually throughout their history, they fail to do what God has called them to do. And here's what we have to do this morning. We have to reckon with this part of our history. This is our history. We run in this same lineage as the people of Israel. We have been grafted in, Paul says, to that be part of that history. This is ours. We own it as part of our history. And so we don't do what modern people do, particularly in the secular West. We don't do that, what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. We don't do that thing where we look back and say, ah, morons. They just didn't, they, they, they just didn't have what it took. You know, they were very ancient people, ignorant, illiterate. They didn't have an iPhone where, you know, in which you can set a timer to remind you to share the good news with your kids. And so they, just, they just didn't have what it took to fulfill it. But we have arrived in some sense. No. What, the problem with them was not that they were dummies. It's that they were sinners, right? That was their problem. And we have exactly the same problem it wasn't just old covenant people you move into the new covenant and the same thing was happening over and over again the book of Hebrews is just this litany of warnings against doing what God's people in the old covenant did because people in the new covenant were doing doing the same thing this just recurring set of warnings against hardening our hearts towards God and disobeying what he's laid out in front of us to be the pattern of living for us to walk in So in Hebrews 3, this is what the writer to the Hebrews says. Watch out. He says this to us. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there will not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily. While it is still called today, 
so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So here's a key. If we're going to actually do what the psalmist is calling us to, what Jimmy and Sarah have been calling us to over these past seven years, if we're going to actually do it, it's going to require, he says, daily encouragement, like mutual encouragement. So you ask yourself, is today the day that I should be encouraging my brothers and sisters to walk in God's ways and to fulfill their calling that he has set out for them? Is today the day? He says, is it called today? Yeah, it's called today. All right, then yes. So long as today is called today, encourage each other that we might fulfill our calling. The warning is there because the danger is real. The danger to fall away. Or the danger, maybe this is the greatest danger, it's not utterly falling away. It's just doing that that, uh, jellyfish thing. It's just drifting. Aimless, purposeless, useless drifting. I remember that day where we had the, the clear whiteboard and Jimmy and I were sitting down this first day. We were just going to throw a bunch of dreams up on the board for how this youth ministry that didn't exist might come into being and be fruitful. And what Jimmy did was very, very profound. He brought along a photo from a youth group he was involved in and he put it up on the board and on it there were red X's through each of the young people who had at one time confessed faith in Jesus and had now fallen away from the faith and it was sobering and it was frightening if we are going to do what the psalmist has told us and raise up a generation who knows the goodness of God and walks in his ways it's going to require so long as it's called today kind of living. It's going to require a daily commitment to a daily discipleship. So, taking together this call that we've been given to share with the next generation and taking seriously the warnings that go along with it in our failure to do what has been said before us. I just want to, I want to leave us now with three images which kind of speak to both the, the hope and the warning. So three, three images, all right? I've got a tree, a vaccine, and a horse. First of all, a tree. This is an image that the psalmist uses in, way back in Psalm Number one, he uses this image of a desert-dwelling tree. And he talks about the tree that is planted by streams of living water. Let me read to you Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. He says, how happy. You want your kids to be happy? I do. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night, day and night, day and night. 
He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's the image of a child planted next to a stream. Now the image of the stream in the psalm is clearly an image for God's life-giving presence mediated through his life-giving word. The tree that is planted by a stream that flows continually never goes dry. A tree that is planted by that stream which soaks up day and night God's promises that tree prospers. That tree bears fruit. Let me go back to Deuteronomy 6. This, this idea of day, a daily feeding, a daily nourishing of these little saplings that we call our kids and our young people. He says, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What's that? That's day and night. Daily meditation. By the way, this just, this just absolutely destroys what I've heard from time to time from parents of kids where they have said, well, I, my faith is for me, but I don't want to put that on my children. I want them to decide. I apologise for mocking you if that's something that you've said. But this just doesn't leave any room for that kind of modern, postmodern, Western, secularist thinking. We don't do this with maths. I believe that one plus one is two, but I don't want to put that on my children, right? They need to figure that out. No, we instruct, we teach. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. I love this because I'm terrible at anything that is overly scheduled. There is great benefit in scheduling a quiet time in the morning of prayer and thanksgiving. It's, it's great to have regular rhythms of praying with your children before bedtime. All of that is great, but it goes beyond that. We're talking about when you walk along the road. Do you know that some of the best discipling of your kids you can do is just when you're walking along the road? You're on your way to school in the morning. There's a tree. Let me tell you about what this tree says about who God is. Right? God created the world to reverberate truth about him. And so you can just pass anything and go, let me tell you how this tells you about something about God. Use the image from Psalm 1. Use biblical images to explain to your children truths about God and his world and their place in it. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, I love that. That's a kind of thing that we might call making all of life all about Jesus. So there's the tree. Let me talk about the vaccine, all right? Everyone's obsessed with vaccines at the moment. Um, I'm just going to do a poll now to see whether you will take the vaccine or whether you think it is a messenger of Satan, all right? So just put it... No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, no, for the love of the Lord. 
we're not going to do that. But a, va- a vaccine kind of on our mind at the moment. And it's an image that is useful for us to hear as a warning. Okay, so what are vaccines? I'm not a doctor, but I think at the basic kind of level, vaccines are like watered-down versions of a virus that we put inside of us so that we will be inoculated against the real thing. Watered-down version that inoculates us against the real thing. Friends, watered-down Christianity is exactly the same thing. It works in exactly the same way. And here's the great warning for us. By the way, every time I say parents, I'm referring to biological parents and everyone else in our church who are spiritual mummies and daddies to the next generation in this community. All right? So as parents, if we share a watered-down version of the gospel with our children, if we day-to-day pump into them a watered-down gospel, and by that I mean the gospel is you should be polite, Make sure you say thank you and please and don't be rude to your teacher. And, and I guess we'll say grace before dinner. Make sure you close your eyes and put your hands together. Right? This kind of cultural Christianity, what we call nominal Christianity, watered-down Christianity, here's what it will do. It will inoculate your children against the real thing. And, he, and, and, and to this extent, I believe it would be better for you to say nothing to your kids about Jesus than to give them the watered-down version. At least in that case, when they come into contact with the real thing, they won't be inoculated against it. (laughs) This is why Jimmy and Sarah, for seven years, have been gathering young people around God's word week in and week out. We've had plenty of people tell us, you know, you would get more people in, more young people would come if you just watched movies and played games and had free pizza and door prizes. We already knew that. Man, this place would be throbbing with young people if we just flung open the doors and said, come in and do whatever you please. And we'll leave the God bit for Sunday mornings where it belongs. But that was never the mission in the first place. Our mission wasn't to inoculate people against the gospel, get them to be a little bit more au fait with church life and church culture. The mission was to see young people put their confidence in God. That's why they've been doing this, and that's why we need to do the same thing. I could go on and I don't have time. So you got a tree, you got a vaccine, I've got a horse, India. I've got a horse. In fact, I've got you looking at a horse. It's India's birthday today. She turns 10 years old, which is the reason why she loves horses, all right? If you have a 10-year-old girl, they just by nature love horses. And so recently for Christmas, we took our kids to uh, Living Legends. It's out in, uh, near the airport out there, and it's where racehorses go to, uh, it's like a retirement village for racehorses, and um, this racehorse was uh, Prince of Penzance, yep, and who rode it, who rode the, 
Michelle Payne. Right, the first girl to win the Melbourne Cup. Uh, very unfancied jockey on an unfancied horse. She won the, the Melbourne Cup on this horse, and he lives there now, and he is enormous. I don't, I don't think the camera does justice to, to this, but I think, I don't know, 17 hands or something like that? Six. Yeah, that means big. And, um, and just enormous. Just, even after retirement, they're not like us human beings who after retirement just really fill out really quick and lose all of our muscle mass. Um, uh, um, that was still very impressive. And what I said to this woman who was uh, leading the tour, showing us all these different horses, was I, I asked her, do, do horses like this exist in the wild? Like, can you get a horse this big and this um, physically impressive in the wild? And she's like, no. These horses don't exist in the wild. These horses are the product of thorough breeding. They're the product of intensive training. Get the image? The next generation, if they are to be thoroughbred believers in Jesus, if they are to run the race... then we're going to need to train them. We're going to need to breed them. That means we're going to need to be strategic about how they are shaped and moulded. We're going to need to be intentional about how they are trained. If you just set a horse off into the wilderness, it never becomes a racehorse. It just regresses. And so it is with our children, intentional, daily training so that they might put their confidence in God. I want to leave you with this quote, and it's one that I've repeated a few times because I just love it so much. It comes from a book that's like in my top five books. It's by Andy Wilson, Notes from the Tilter World. This is what he says about raising kids. He says, the world is rated R, and no one is checking IDs. Do not try to make it G by imagining the shadows away. Do not try to hide your children from the world forever. But do not try to pretend there is no danger. Train them. Give them sharp eyes and bellies full of laughter. Make them dangerous. Make them yeast. And when they've grown, they will pollute the shadows. Let's pray. Father, the first thing we must do after hearing this from your word is just acknowledge that we've failed every day to live out this calling that you've put on our lives as parents and spiritual parents of the next generation. I just, uh, I hold my hand up and say that I am the, the first among sinners in this constantly fail so I pray Lord that you give us a fresh vision for what it means to share the gospel with the next generation Lord where Jimmy and Sarah and their team and their ministry have left off today may we take up that cause with fervour 
and with faithfulness. Please help us now as a church as we come to terms with how to take up the baton and carry on this ministry. Give us wisdom as we seek your guidance and your leading with what what comes next for kids and youth ministry. Lord, please direct all of that in our own homes and households. I pray that you give us fresh vision and fresh hope. Lord, where we have the voice of the enemy and the accuser in our ears right now condemning us for years of failure in this regard, please silence him and remind us that with you all things are possible, that you are in the very business of making broken things beautiful. May we as a church, as a family, so long as it's called today, mutually encourage each other in this work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.